morning, uh, because, uh, because of your death we get life. Uh, the substitution that you made, your death for ours, a righteous, perfect sacrifice for uh, an unrighteous, sinful person, people, Lord. We're so thankful, God. We don't deserve it, uh, but we celebrate it today, Lord, and, and we probably will never celebrate it enough, Lord, but we'll have all of eternity to do that, Lord, as your children. Uh, we get to rejoice in the fact that you paid the price, that you did what we could never do uh, in redeeming ourselves and being good enough. And so we just love you today, Lord. We want to love you every single day, Lord. May this be our heart day by day, Lord. We love you so much. And lift up this morning to you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So today's a big day. We call it Easter sometimes, Resurrection Sunday, uh, a day we celebrate with family. We go to church. Um, there's probably going to be, uh, hopefully, I'll pray for you if it's not. Hopefully there's going to be a meal involved somewhere along the line today, right? Uh, and we look forward to that. But I have to ask you, because we all feel this way at times, uh, do you ever feel lonely? Do you ever feel alone? Do you ever feel like people, even the closest people in your life, like they don't know you? Who, they, who, they don't understand me. You can feel alone in a room like this with a, a lot of people in it. You'll go celebrate this afternoon maybe uh, with family and over a big meal and, and feel alone. Or you go home tonight and maybe feel alone. Or do you ever feel unloved? Or worse yet, unloving. That's something everyone is, here has probably experienced that Man, I'm just, how can anyone love me? I know who I am. I know the thoughts in my head and my heart. Well, that's the reason we celebrate today, because there's someone who cares, there's someone who knows all about you. There's someone who still loves you and wants to spend every single day with you because he cares so much about you. How do I know that? Well, we're here because of Resurrection Sunday. Somebody called Friday a good Friday, right? Uh, what makes it good? Because it wasn't good for Jesus, was it? That was the day that he was arrested, falsely accused, brought into trial. He was beaten, spit on. His beard was plucked out. He was whipped with a cat of nine tails with this cord that kills most people. He was mocked, plated a crown of thorns on his head, and then he was nailed to a cross to hang there for six hours for you and I. Pierced in the side with a spear at the end of the day. That's how I know there's someone who cares for you and for me. Is because what we call Good Friday, he saw you and I. This is what it says, uh, and you can bounce around with me if you want to. I'm going to be in Hebrews 12 just for a minute. It says this in Hebrews 12, verse 2. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author 
right? He wrote it, he designed it, he thought of it, and he's also the finisher of our faith. And then it says, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. It says that for the joy set before him, right? He endured the cross. So he saw you and he saw me. But there was something that held, that, that stood in his path of vision, his, light, his, his, his line of sight. Although he saw us, he had to go in one direction. It was through the cross. You and I were the joy that was set before him, but he had to endure the, the cross, despising the shame of it. He endured such hostility from sinners against himself. He was willing to do it. Why? It was for you and I, the joy that was set before him. He didn't look at the cross and say, man, is there, well, he asked the Father, is there another way? If there's any other way, Father, take this cup from me. And there was no other way. He had to go straight forward. He had to endure all that for you and I. Well, that's easy. Not for us, or not for Jesus, but for us it was easy to believe that. But when did he do it? For us, because now you know, a lot. Some of us sit here today. We're Christians, and we've kind of cleaned our life up a little bit, and we feel like, man, I I don't swear, or I don't swear as much anymore, or I don't do this anymore, or I don't do that uh, anymore. And you know, I can sometimes be pretty lovable. My wife loves me, or my my husband loves me, or my kids. Right? Turn to to, to Romans uh, chapter five with me for a second. Because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. It says this in Romans chapter 5, verse 6. It says, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. And then it says this in verse 7, right? There's no, verse 6, there's, there's no reform, no change we could make in our life. We couldn't be good enough. We were without strength. The ability to change our own lives, to be a better person. You know, we try. Sometimes we try. Like we have a night or a day or a week or a month or a situation that happens in our life and we're like, I got to change. I got to be different. I can't keep living like this. This is messing me up. This is messing up the people around me. But it says, when we were without strength, no ability to change. In due time, Christ died for the ungodly. And then look at, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. And for a great person, sometimes someone's willing to die. 
to, to, to step in front of the whatever it is, a bullet. Someone's willing to, to, to take that for you, for a, good per, for a great man, for a righteous man. Yet perhaps for a good man, someone, someone would even dare die. So I, I don't know who those people would be or who you would replace. Someone's, someone's got cancer or about, you know, they're on the battlefield and you step in front or take that blow yourself. Who would you do it for? Uh, probably a lot of moms and dads would say, my kids, that's someone you'd step, step, take their place. For a good person, someone that you love, someone you care for, someone that's done great in this world, somebody who has, uh, maybe uh, someone who has the cure for cancer. You'd say, boy, I want to take your place so you can give this cure to someone else. But it says this in in, in verse 8, but God demonstrated his own love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That word still sinners, it means we're devoted to sin, that that was our worship. That's what we lived every day, devoted to our sinful lifestyle. It says that's when Jesus died for us. When we were at our very worst, when we were devoted to sin, we were committed to it. We woke up every day thinking, this is how I'm going to live my life. This is what I'm going to do. This is the store I'm going to go to. This is the website I'm going to visit. This is, this is how I'm going to live my life. This is what I'm going to do at work, whatever it is. And our lives can be pretty messed up, can't they? Before I knew the Lord, man, I was messed up. I was messed up, and I could not change myself. Couldn't change the way I thought, the things I did, the places I went, how I talked to people. Could not change myself. And I was messed up. And I didn't have a lot of hope. But he said, the, Paul says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than, verse 9, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were sinners, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life his life, the life he lived, and his resurrection life. Jesus loved us when we were at our worst. We think, man, I'm unlovable. How could anyone love me? I'm surprised my spouse loves me. I'm surprised anyone cares about me. I know who I am. I know how I treat people. And the Bible says when you were at your worst, that's when Jesus died for you. He knew all about you and cared. You know, John the Baptist came on the scene Jesus' cousin. And he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What did that mean? What does that mean? Maybe you know. Why is that significant? Turn to, to Exodus chapter 12 with me for a second. John points to Jesus and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. 
We get a glimpse of it, and, and through the whole, and we're going we're gonna to read it today. Uh, not the whole Bible, but we get a glimpse of it through the whole Old Testament. What that pictured and what that pointed to. Because right away in, in Genesis chapter 3, as, as Eve is tempted, and Adam and Eve eat that fruit that God said, don't eat it. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they eat that fruit, and sin enters the world. And one, through one man, sin entered the whole human race. That now every person that's born beyond Adam and Eve is sinful and is destined to die. They're born separated from God. But right away, she eats that fruit, and God shows up. Hey, where are, Adam, where are you? And they had originally, they were naked. There was nothing to be ashamed of. There was no sin, no impurities in this world. But as soon as they ate that fruit, they realized, oh man, we're messed up, we're naked. And they had to clothe themselves in something. And, and they picked fig leaves, this, this leaf that has all these little pointy things on it. It's, prick, it's got prickers on it, it's itchy. And they clothed themselves in that to try to cover their own sinful ways. It wasn't good enough. And what did God do right there at the very beginning? He, he takes that away and gives them skins. Probably a lamb. They probably, probably killed a lamb and clothed them in that skin. And then you fast forward several thousand years to Exodus chapter 12. And you know Exodus chapter 12, God is rescuing his people, Israel, out of this nation, Egypt, that, that they're enslaved in. They're in bondage. They can't escape. They can't get out. There's no way. But God steps in and there's plague after plague. Please let my people go. Let my people go. Okay, I will. No, I'm not going to. And Pharaoh, finally, this is the last one. And this is what God says to do. In verse 1 of Exodus chapter 12, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, this, is the, this month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. So now what's going to happen on this day for that nation is going to change the calendar for them. It's going to change their whole life, their whole thought. This is new. What's going to take place right now? It's the way when you become a Christian, your whole life has changed. You have a new calendar, a new thought, right? You used to celebrate your birthday on whatever day it is. Now you celebrate and you remember, man, I remember when I got saved. It was, you know, whatever the date it is. I got saved. I, rem I know what Jesus did for me. And, and that's what God says. This is going to be a new calendar for you. He says, speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, in the tenth month of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb. According to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. So it starts out, it's just a lamb for every household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to, to his house take it according to the number of persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Now it's a specific one for a house or for a family. And now, in verse 5, then it has to be personal. It can't just be a lamb or the lamb. It needs to be your lamb can't be your mom's lamb or your dad's lamb or your grandma's lamb. 
right? Those people in your life that have faith that brought you to church your whole life. It needs to be personal. It needs to be your lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it of the sheep or from the goats. And you'll keep it until the 14th day of the same month. And then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight or in the evening. This lamb, this lamb that's inspected for 14 days, it's without blemish. And it comes into your house. Imagine that. If you have kids, imagine inviting a little lamb into your house and it living with you. And then you have to kill it. But it's inspected there. There's no blemish, no spot. Pilate said three times about Jesus, I find no fault in this man. He was inspected. The centurion said, man, surely this was the son of God. The thief on the cross next to Jesus tells the other guy, hey, listen, we're here for a reason. This guy's done nothing wrong. Inspected. Judas said he'd betrayed innocent blood. Had to throw the money back because he had done nothing wrong. Jesus was inspected. No blemish, no flaw, no spot. And it was to be killed. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts, that's the sides, and on the lintel of the house where they eat it, that's the top post of the door. And they shall eat the flesh on the night, on that night, and roast it in fire with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs. You shall eat it. And there's a whole description of, of how to eat it and what to eat. And he says, verse 12, I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute my judgment. There's going to come a day where you're going to stand before the Lord. And the blood, verse 13, shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So if you can picture it, you're looking at the door, and on the sides of the door, there's blood. And then across the top, there's blood. So the two sides, it literally would maybe look like two crosses. And it says... You'll keep it for a memorial and a feast to the Lord. So this is going to be something that takes place every year, every single year as a reminder. Verse 22 says this, you shall take a bunch of hyssop, this branch with leaves on it, and dip it in the blood that's in the basin. That word is the word saf. It's literally the threshold. And in the, in the threshold of a door, it would, be, it would be hewed out a little bit for water to run through, different things. So that's where they would literally kill this lamb. They put it there in the threshold of a door of their house, and they would kill the lamb, and the blood would drain out, and the blood would stay right there. And then they dip the hyssop in that and mark the doorpost in the top. So literally when the, when the angel went by, it would see a lamb right there in the middle of the door. 
and then a picture of two crosses, a cross on either side. It'd be really a picture of Calvary, what Jesus was going to do uh, 2,000 years later, 1,400 years later, that every single Passover would point to the day Jesus would walk that hill of Calvary with a cross. And he'd be slain there in between two malefactors, two guilty men. So when John says, behold the lamb, that's what he meant. This is the lamb. It's a lamb, the lamb, but it needs to become your lamb. It needs to be personal. It needs to be personal. It needs to be your lamb. Jesus Christ died for you personally. He did die for the sins of the world, but the whole world isn't going to receive him. The whole world's not going to receive him. So Jesus, as he's celebrating this Passover, he tells his disciples, with desire, I've desired to eat this Passover with you. This is what every Passover from Exodus chapter 12 looked forward to. It pointed to this one time, to this one day. He says, with desire, I've desired to eat this with you. Everything changes at this point. The calendar is going to change again. And it really did. Went from B.C. to A.D. Right? 1,400 Passovers looked forward to this, and now we look back 2,000 to that sacrifice. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10. Calvary does something that, that all those Passovers couldn't do. It says this, verse 1 in Hebrews chapter 10, For the law having a shadow of good things to come, it was just the shadow of what was about to take place, and not the very image of the things. And They can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then they would have ceased to be offered. For if the worshipers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sin. Right? That's what, the Cal- what Calvary does. It clears your conscience. Something that's stained. Something that's messed up. Our conscience. God's given us a conscience so you know right from wrong. Good from bad. And what the worshipers had to do when they would offer sacrifices, they would have to remember, oh man, that's right, I did this to my neighbor last week or last month and they'd have to bring this sacrifice and that sacrifice and ultimately a lamb and they would have to remember all of their sins but Jesus came so you didn't have to it clear, he clears your conscience maybe not your remembrance but you're forgiven now but those sacrifices verse 3 and those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year for it's not possible that the blood, blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice the offering. 
Sacrifice and offering you didn't desire, but a body you've prepared for me. And burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I am come in the volume of the book. It's written of me to do your will, O God. God wants to clear your conscience. We're forgiven. Right? We remember sin. We remember what we did. That's why we feel unlovable sometimes. Like, man, I'm messed up. But that's when Jesus died for you for me when we were unlovable when we were the when when people look at us like we're unlovable man what a loser i can't believe they did that can't believe they acted that way can't believe they said that or that jesus cares jesus said something seven things from the cross as he's dying through those six hours first thing he said is father forgive them I would be thinking, Father, get them. Like, now's your chance. Let's do it. Right? You see what they've done. But he looks at people with love and compassion. And his words are, Father, forgive them. That's his heart. He's hanging on a cross. He's like, Father, forgive them. Then he looks at his mother and says, Woman, behold thy son. He looks to... John the Apostle, and then he looks at John and says, Behold thy mother. He's so concerned with other people. He's not, we can become so self-focused, self-absorbed. That's our problem usually. But Jesus from the cross hanging there is like, I want you guys to take care of each other and be in each other's lives. And then he says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me is what he's saying that's when all the weight of sin falls on him all the weight of your sin and my sin past present future the weight of the world's sins fall on him and god has to turn his face away he's separated from his father something that's never happened from eternity past and never will happen again eternity future He's separated from his father. He's, my God, my God, why have you? But he did that and said that so you never have to. You'll never have to say, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he never will. He did it so you never have to. And people were confused when he said that. Couldn't understand him. Part of the process of crucifixion is you're dehydrated. You're in agony. And his tongue was sticking to the roof of his mouth. And people are like, he's calling for Elijah. Wait, let's see if he comes. So Jesus says the next thing, he says, I thirst. And they give him some vinegar to drink. And it loosens his, his, his tongue from the roof of his mouth. And then he says the next thing. So it's perfectly clear. Jesus wanted this to be clear. He says, it is finished. He didn't say you're finished or I'm finished. He says, it's finished. That's the next thing he says. He wanted the world to know and it to be written and it to be clear that the work of redemption is complete. His sacrifice was sufficient, right? Redemption, it means to purchase someone off the auction block of sin. When when you talk about redemption, that's what we are. We're redeemed. We're bought back. 
right? And it would be very familiar in these days because there would be slaves in Rome. And they would buy, buy slaves and sell slaves all the time. And that's what redemption is, to, to purchase. Some would be purchased forever. Some would be purchased for a harvest season. But some would be purchased to be set free forever. And that's what redemption means, that you're purchased to be set free forever. That's how much he loves you. He says, it's finished. And then he says, into thy hand I commit my spirit. Something every believer has that hope of heaven. That we're going to heaven now because of what he's done. This earth is not, you know, I just talked to someone the other day. It was funny because it doesn't matter where you live. It could be uh, the, what you might think of the best climate. Or maybe if you live in town, you think, I wish I lived in the country. Or if you lived in the country, you think, I wish I lived in town. Uh, I thought that for, we lived in town for 10 years. And I always thought, man, I wish I lived in the country. I like to live out in the country. Now I'm in the country mowing my lawn, pruning trees. I'm like, man, it'd be kind of nice to live in town, have a smaller yard. My kids could walk to the park, right? We're never happy. We're not meant to be happy this side of heaven. Not perfectly happy. You're not going to be. We're waiting for something much greater. An upgrade on these bodies. And forever with Jesus Christ, because he loves us that much. If you turn with me to Luke, I just wanted to read this. We're going to close right here. Luke chapter 24. This is the longest account of resurrection morning. And Jesus here, we see him as after the resurrection, he's gathering his sheep. You know, the Bible, Zechariah, and Jesus said it, smite the shepherd and the sheep are going to scatter. And now what Jesus is doing from, from the moment he, uh, of the resurrection, he's regathering his sheep. He's bringing them all back. He'll tell the, the disciples, he tells uh, Mary, hey, go tell my disciples and Peter that I've raised from the dead, right? Peter, someone who denied the Lord. Thomas, who is absent the first time Jesus shows up, and they said, hey, we, we, Thomas, we saw Jesus. Man, he's, what? I don't believe it. Unless I stick my, my hand in his side and put my hand <clears throat> in the wounds in his hands. I won't believe. Hold on a second. <clears throat> and what does Jesus do? So faithfully, he hears that conversation. He knows. He shows up and says, hey, Thomas, by the way, put your hand right here in my side. Put your hand in the wounds of my hand. And Jesus is regathering on the resurrection. Because why? The resurrection gives us hope. The grave couldn't hold him couldn't keep him. Death. So it says this in verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which, which they had prepared. 
But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. And then they went in and did not find the body of Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this. And behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee. And then he reminds, these angels remind them of what Jesus said. That's why it's so important to be in the word of God, to know your Bible. Because this life is full of discouragement. He says, don't you remember that, the, that Jesus said, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, but the third day he'll rise again. Don't you remember that? So easy to forget when we walk through this life, isn't it? To just look at everything so negatively. Like, oh man, I can't believe it again. I gotta pay in on my taxes. I don't get money. You know, there's always something negative to look at. And he reminds them. And they remembered his words. And then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven and to the rest. And it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and other women with them who told, who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales. And they didn't believe. So Peter arises and he ran to the tomb and stooping down saw the linen clothes lying by themselves. And he departed marveling to himself what had happened. And then we get this, this uh, conversation here that Jesus has with these two men. Verse 13, it says, Behold, two of them were traveling the same day to the village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. And so it was while they, were, while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near with, and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they didn't know him. And Jesus said, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and you're sad? Like, and can't you do that? So you're talking to someone, you should have fellowship, there's so much hope in this life, and it's like, oh man, you think you got it bad. And we're talking about like the worst things in the world. Oh, you, that's bad. You ever do that? Like, man, I went to the hospital, I had five stitches. Oh, you did? Well, I actually broke my arm. Oh, really? Well, I broke this. And, and it's like... Who's, who's had it the worst, right? You know, my, and, and that's what's going on, man. These guys are just, oh, man, you think you got it bad. Look at, listen to this. And Jesus is like, hey, what kind of conversation is this? And then one whose name was Cleopas answered and said, <clears throat> are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there these days? Like everyone knew what happened that Jesus was crucified. He had done nothing wrong. And it was a kangaroo court. And he said to them, he's kind of playing along, what things? So they said to him, oh, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. Didn't matter what these guys saw. These guys were disciples. They saw what Jesus did. Miracles. That didn't help him, right? So many people think, oh, if I saw a miracle, I would believe him. My faith would grow. Well, their faith didn't grow. How the chief priests 
and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, they do remember this. Today's the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early, they astonished us. And when they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but him they didn't see. And then he said to them, oh, foolish ones, because they thought originally he was foolish or unlearned or didn't know what, like, are you the only one in Israel who doesn't know this? So he says, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory And then he did something amazing. It would be nice to have this on tape. It says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He went through Genesis 3. He went through Exodus 12. He went through Psalm 22. Imagine him teaching Isaiah 53. All these things, all these prophecies that all pointed to Jesus Christ. And he expounded them all. And then they drew near to a village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass that as he sat at the table with them, he took bread. He blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. So he, he prayed right before they ate, He breaks the bread and he gives it to them and it says, then their eyes were open and they knew him and he vanished from their sight and they said to one another, didn't our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened to us the scriptures? They saw the whole thing the wrong way. They're discouraged. They felt distant from the Lord. You ever feel distant from the Lord? Like, man, Lord, where are you? I don't sense your presence in this. I feel, and Jesus was right there the whole time. Lord, I am, we're so discouraged. We're, I wish you were here. And Jesus is the one talking to them. He opens to them the scriptures, and then he opens their eyes. Didn't our hearts burn within us on the road? And while he opened to us the scriptures, so important to be in the word of God, even the Old Testament. So they arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed. He's appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that, he, that happened on the road and how he was known to them in breaking of the bread. Now, they set, they, now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened. And suppose they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do, you, why do doubts arise in your heart? Behold my hands and my feet, that it's I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. So Jesus there, after the resurrection, still has the scars. We see that in Revelation chapter 5 as John's there and there's a scroll in heaven and the angel says, who's worthy to open the scroll and loose the seal? And John starts uh, weeping bitterly, it says. 
because there was no one in heaven or earth found worthy to open that scroll. And then the angel says, hey, John, don't cry. The lion of the tribe of Judah, he's worthy to open the seal. And then it says that John turned to look at this lion of the tribe of Judah. He looks and he sees a lamb as though it had been slain. Right? Jesus is still going to bear those marks in heaven for our sin. A reminder of his love. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. So he shows him his hands and feet. And when he said this, while, he, while they still did not believe for, for joy and marveled, he said to them, do you have any food? Sounds like me. So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and a honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. And he said to them, these are the words which I spake to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remissions of sins be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. So Jesus is risen. It's the hope we have for today. It's the peace we get to have with God now. The new life we have. In Jesus Christ, that he died for us when we certainly didn't deserve it. We don't deserve it now. But when we were at our very worst, he died for us to give us hope and eternal life. So we can celebrate that today. That's why we're here. We celebrate his life. We celebrate new life that we get to have in him. The hope we have. The victory over sin and death. That was the fear. Most people fear death. Most people fear, you know, as you're getting up in age, sometimes you're thinking, man, what's, even Christians, man, what's that, that experience going to be like? I remember being a kid, like being afraid to die, being afraid, like, what's that like? What's going to happen? And Jesus took the stinger out of it by what he did, sin and death, because he cares that much. So, Lord, we are so thankful, God, for your love, for the hope we have in you, Lord. So easy to be like those guys on the road to Emmaus. We can get discouraged because things aren't working out the way we thought they should or our plans aren't unfolding the way we thought they would. And you're right there all the time to remind us Lord, you've given us your word to remind us. And so we celebrate this day, Resurrection Sunday. Something we should do every day. Because we have new life. We have forgiveness of sins. Because of what you've done for us, Lord. We're so thankful. And you did it all while we were at our worst. And now you've given us your spirit and your word and you're changing us. You're reminding us of who you are and who we are to you, Lord. We just love you. Pray for everyone here today, Lord. They just be able to enjoy this day. Just be reminded and rest 
in your love today, Jesus. In your name, amen.